All right, before we even get in the intro, I have got to add something to last week's episode content, and I'm kicking myself. It's funny. I got done recording. Last week was kind of a crazy week, or week before last when I was recording that. Um, the Profile in Courage from Joshua, if you haven't listened to that, uh, you don't have to go back and listen to that. This is not one of those podcasts where, where uh, you got to listen to things in order, but, um, but today is... We're the second part of a little mini, mini not series, but um, back-to-back weeks where we're talking about some different aspects of biblical manhood, but then also as it applies to women and young people, um, but, but certainly just godliness as men and women. So I'm always going to, I think my tone is always going to be more of a challenge to and at men um, and young men. And um, so I, I always like to just say, hey, this is not, a man central podcast this isn't a podcast just on, on biblical masculinity or anything like that. Uh, but that's just kind of where my heart is. And I, and I, I want to see men challenged to, to lead their families well, to be involved in church and community. I think it's so important and there's a, a deficit there. Uh, and especially in the society that we're in right now, just where we are, this cultural moment in our society where, you know, if, if a man does, and is what God's called him to do and be, then he's labeled as toxic or, or right wing or, uh, what's the thing where you're like, um, chauvinistic, you know? So, uh, there's always going to kind of have that feel, I think, but this is for men and women and young men and young women. And, and so there's one thing that I left out last week that before we even get into this week's content from first Timothy six and Paul's challenge to Timothy, I wanted to to just go back to there's a moment in in Joshua's life where I think you know we talked about the importance of the word of God in his life but also I think there was a deep understanding of the importance of prayer and I think that came from the battle in Exodus when Joshua was leading a battle against the Amalekites and Moses you may remember the story Moses as long as he held his arms up in prayer I'm assuming if he's holding his arms up in prayer and and exaltation, then Israel would win the battle. But when his arms would begin to slump down and fail, the battle would turn. And so, you know, those guys came and held his arms up for him. And it was just this picture of prayer is so important to win the battles. And so I think those, if we can condense everything last week into two things that are going to drive you to live a courageous life as a man or woman of God, it's from Joshua's example, understanding the importance and, and necessity and survival that is that is only available through prayer in the life of a believer, and then that that point that we really focused on the Word of God. So prayer, the Word of God, changed Joshua's life, gave him courage, sustained him through the decades, and it'll do the same for you and me. So we're going to get into uh, some more content like that today. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate you being here. Welcome to No Sanity Required. Welcome to No Sanity Required, from the ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a podcast about the Bible, culture, and stories from around the globe. I want to go to today, I want to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and consider a challenge or a charge that Paul gives to Timothy. I guess you would say it's instruction for life. The last thing that the Apostle Paul ever wrote was he wrote uh, Second Timothy, which was a letter to Timothy, and at the end of it he said, 
my life is being poured out. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. And that's because he was about to die. And he was, we know he was dying for his faith, for his gospel witness. He would, he died a martyr's death. And I, I, I want to go back a little bit in that mentorship between Paul and Timothy and look at some instruction that Paul gave to Timothy, who I think, you know, you could argue that Timothy is the guy that Paul invested the most into. I mean, he really mentored and discipled this young dude, took him in, became a spiritual father. No doubt Paul invested a ton in Luke. Luke was a doctor, though. You know, he's a medical professional who then became Paul's travel partner, physician, and assistant. Um, and I, so I think it could be at least argued that Timothy was the guy that Paul invested the most in. If at the very least we could learn from Paul's example in the way that he invested in Timothy, what it looks like to mentor and invest in someone and for young dudes and young ladies to, to, to see the value of learning from an older believer, an older person in the faith. And I, I, I want to say a word about this to, if you're a young man or a young woman, I mean, you could be 13, 14, 15, maybe, maybe you're in college, you know, or in that age bracket of college, like 18 to 24, 25 you know, from, from college to grad school, that window, which don't get me wrong, an 18 year old and a 24 year old, very different people, very different in place in life. So, but, but for just for what I'm trying to say is it's, I think it's important to be learning from older people. And it may be that you learn from a person that you know more than that person. You know, I've learned so much from older men who I may have more specific knowledge of the Bible or I may have more knowledge of a certain, you know, some, some content matter material, but, but life has taught them and, and wised them in a way that I'm just not there yet. I think about, uh, what I learned even from my, 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 my stepdad, my, my kid's granddad, my mom's husband, we call him pap. His name's Steve Parker. And, he is, he is the simplest of people. Uh, I've talked about him on here before. Let me tell you about Steve Parker. Let me tell you about Pap. Pap is uh, semi-retired. He, he had to retire on disability when he was a young dude. He was in his late 40s, I guess, because he had a, a, a real bad tumor on his spine. And, um, and, and they had to go in there and remove that thing. It was, it was like upper, like up, up in his neck. And it was a very scary deal, like... Um, it's a good chance he he could have ended up, you know, uh, a, a quadriplegic. And and he had always, Pap had always worked with his hands. Uh, he, he'd do anything in the carpentry world, from framing to trim carpentry, finish work. His specialty is cabinet building. Um, worked in a cabinet shop for decades, building cabinets for the finest custom homes in Western North Carolina. And you got a lot of really nice homes here, like. Uh, the the Roy Williams, the coach from University of North Carolina, basketball coach, who he's retired now, but Pap did all of his cabinet work and I think his trim work in his mountain house. So he's he's a a, a very skilled dude. But Pap reads at a very modest, very modest um like like proficiency. Let's say let's say he reads at like a lower end of the middle school spectrum. So he probably reads about like a like like an average sixth or seventh grader, and I'm not saying that to be derogatory because I'm not being derogatory. I'm going to brag on this man. I've learned so much from him, 
So hear me when I say I'm I'm not being derogatory. It's just reality, and he'll tell you that he just doesn't read good. He wasn't a good student. He I would imagine when he was in school that, that he probably had learning disabilities. This would have been in the 1960s, and a lot of that just wasn't you know wasn't on people's radar. So, but he's a super smart guy in a lot of ways, and and uh, but but he's um, he's he's a complete. Um, yeah, like like he's so skilled at what he does. He's he's creative, he, and and I just love the dude. But he's got the funniest life habits. I'm not even kidding, man. He's like one of the funniest guys to study. My favorite thing that Pap does is he when when we go see them. Like when my family, I, we were there this weekend. You know, we go to Virginia Tech football games every weekend to watch Tucker play. And so, if it's a home game or it's anywhere. You know, we drive when we drive northeast of here. We go through Asheville, so like we'll go through Cherokee and Silva on the bypass Waynesville. If you're familiar with Western North Carolina, and we'll go through Asheville. My parents, uh, they live. My mom and stepdad live just west of Asheville, and uh, so we'll stop in and see them. But anytime we stop and visit, when we leave, they come out on the porch and they dance, and we'll play. Usually, little plays that song levitate. It's like I don't know. It's like a pop song. I don't know what you'd call it. From maybe five or six years ago, it's uh, the girl's name. I think you you pronounce it Dua Lupa. Y'all can just laugh away if I said that wrong. I'm sure I messed that up. <laughs> I'm, like right now, I'm, I'm I'm tempted. I'm not gonna lie. I'm tempted to look it up and make sure I'm saying it right, and then just edit that. But I'm gonna leave it. We're gonna roll with it. And a lot of our listeners wouldn't know the difference anyway. But anyway. If you know that song, it's really like it's one of those that gets you moving, gets you dancing. Mo loves it. Mo dances to it all the time. So we'll little we'll play that or something similar. Might even be some some older hip hop. And my folks, my stepdad and my mom, Grammy and Pap, will dance on the front porch, and it is hilarious. We have hours of video we recorded, and uh, but but Pap, he's so funny because now that he, he, he what little work he does for income. He just does it in his home shop. He's got a cabinet building shop at home. Like he did my kitchen, all my cousins, my I got aunts and uncles, my brother. You know, like he's done a lot of work for family, and um, of course we pay him what he's worth, and just you know he's he's just great. But he gets up in the morning, and uh, he probably drinks Pat probably drinks two two to two and a half pots of coffee a day. He just drinks coffee all day, and he dips. So he drinks like he's got. Uh, he drinks uh, the cheapest coffee you can buy, and he just and he doesn't drink it real strong. So he just keeps a pot of coffee on, and as soon as he's poured his, you know, drink a couple cups in the morning, then he turns it off and leaves it sitting there at room temperature, and then he nukes it until he's finished that pot throughout the morning. And then in the afternoon, he'll make another pot, do the same thing, and usually he'll make a pot at night, and then he dips cheap cheap dip like uh what's it called uh longhorn maybe anyway he goes to this little drive-through tobacco store on mondays i think he goes yeah on mondays and he drives and it's just right down the road from his house one of the only times his truck leaves the house he drives down on mondays and he buys a ten dollar tub of this dip that comes with a little you know can that you can fill up like a dip can and he dips all day and he's usually wearing uh sweatpant bottoms or or like long baggy gym shorts and t-shirts that look like they're about 40 years old and have been worked in every day for four decades 
and uh, and then he just dips and works and takes a break and gets a cup of coffee and he and he records about ten college football games every Saturday, and then he watches college football throughout the week and he'll watch his favorite games two or three times. So love him to death. But every single morning, every single morning, Pap reads the Word of God. You you're at his house. You go in and it takes him a while to read. He's very slow. He gets up, he puts that dip in, he gets that cup of coffee. Yes, dipping and drinking coffee at the same time. That's a normal thing for some people. And he sits down with the Word of God open, and he just reads the Bible. And he reads the King James, which is really more difficult, you know, in a lot of ways. It's a more difficult translation to read and understand because some of the words are not the words that we use today. It's a beautiful translation, and... and um you know, so, so fun and enjoyable to read. I love reading it, but it's not easy, especially for a guy that, that struggles to read anyway. And then he's got an, I think an ESV study Bible that we bought him. Maybe it's an ESV study Bible. Maybe it's a new living translation. I don't remember. He's got a second Bible and he'll, he'll, you know, got kind of go back and forth, but he reads, I mean, he reads for maybe half hour every morning and it'll take him two or three years um, it might take him four years. I don't remember, but he'll read through the Bible and then just start all over. I think he's read through it like four times since he started doing this 15, maybe years ago. And I, man, I've just learned a lot from him. And so when I say you can learn a lot from somebody, I've learned to be content with the simple things in life. I've learned to be consistent and, and, and that I don't have to be every day doing deep dive studies, you know, where I'm breaking out verbs and, and drilling into commentary, just to pause, start my day at the feet of Jesus and with the word of God open in front of me. It's, it's wonderful. It's such. And so I think it's important to kind of compare ourselves to others and learn from others. Now, comparison can be a bad thing or it can be a good thing. I could compare myself to somebody to intentionally make myself look better. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I remember there was a kid, this was years ago, and there were some kids locally here who were working um, with a basketball trainer. This guy was like an instructor. Um, like does he, he does personal training and instruction. And awesome dude, good dude. Um, hold on. I'm responding to a message here from my pastor, Joseph Tucker, who needs to come by my study here and pick up a commentary. Love that, brother. Um, Not editing that out either, guys. We're just bringing you along for the Monday ride. And so, um, but this guy, he he teaches basketball. You know, you pay him by the hour. Tuck trained with him. Laley trained with him. Um, Several snowbird kids have trained with him, continue to train with him. Um, Anyway, I remember he was, there was this one boy that would train with him that would always, when this kid was like, you know, 13, 14, 15, he wanted to play basketball against younger kids that he could dominate. And I always made my kids play with older kids because that's where you're going to get better. A lot of people will hold their kids back in school so that they can be older and play against younger kids. You know, so like they call it reclassing or you, you stay back a year. And several snowbird kids have done this where they homeschool for a while. Then when it's time to go to school, they just go in a grade behind what they probably should be. And it's so maybe it gives them some advantage. They're playing against younger kids. I remember a guy, a friend of mine that had his son play against, like he played down in rec basketball, which my philosophy is, and it's neither here nor there. That ain't the way to do it. That's not the way to do it. Make them play up. 
And it's like, I remember the guy was like, he's a good friend of mine. He's like, well, I just want to build his confidence. And I'm like, that ain't the confidence you want to, that's not the kind of confidence I want to build. I want him to be sharpened. You know, like when the Bible says iron sharpens iron. Um, so that there's good comparison and bad comparison. You could play down or you could, you could say, yeah, look, you could, you know, I read my Bible. I go to church. I try to do good. I try to help others. I know theology. I've read this book or that book. And you could you could puff yourself up and make yourself feel good about yourself, but I don't know, man. I think it's better to look at others and just say, "Man, I want to be more like that person." Not like I'm gonna be a copycat, but I want to be more like 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 Pap. I want I want to I want to be more faithful and consistent and be more content with the simple things in life. Um, so simple and and like in a good way, and um. He's loving, he's kind, he's joyful, he's happy, um, he's he's playful and, and cuts up good. He's got a good sense of humor and, gosh, he's always got some tune that he's singing and bouncing around, dipping and drinking coffee and and <laughs> he's just great. There's another guy uh, that I've recently gotten to know. His name is David Malk. I'm going to actually interview David for NSR sometime this year because he's lived a, just a fascinating life. And one of David's things is that he lost his hearing, lost 80% of his hearing when he was uh, a small child in the 60s. Now, David's, I think, 67 or 68 years old. He's about the same age as Pap. They're both in the same age bracket. And David, you know, speaks with a, uh, like a, not a speech impediment. It's not that, but it's like a, that, you know, that distinct, when someone has major hearing issues, like the way he says his words, you can tell like the first time I ever talked to David, I'm like, oh, he's got a hearing, he's got severe hearing loss. And so you have to talk so loud to talk to him because he's got 15, maybe 20%, I'd say 15% hearing. Um, and he's, but he's like getting to know him has been so encouraging to me because he is the kindest, sweetest, gentlest man. And he's big, dude. He's probably, I think he was 6'6 in his prime, and now he's had a couple back surgeries. He's had knee replacements, hip replacements, spinal fusion. He's had major physical issues. Um, and because as a young man, he was a college football player. He was a bouncer. He was he was a boxer. He's got a cool life. Y'all going to love hearing this dude. I can't wait to get him on here. You just hear the joy of Jesus coming through with him. But he's been so such a good friend as I've gotten to know him and and – David Malk is a person I want to be more like. I just want to be more like him. I think you need people in your life that you can go, I want to be more like this guy because he's more gentle, he's more kind, he's more joyful, he's more content, you know, whatever it is. And so I think comparison is important. And I, I, and I want to draw some comparisons from Paul's words to Timothy that might help us. Um, and, and we love comparisons. How many of us have been in a Jordan versus LeBron um, debate, you know, Jordan versus LeBron. And I'm a, I'm, I'm, there's no doubt in my mind, Michael Jordan is a better um, basketball player than LeBron James. Uh, LeBron James is a better politician. He's a better marketer. He's a better big mouth. Um, he knows how to, he knows how to open his mouth and, and, and talk about things that have nothing to do with basketball and get, get people fired up. And he's good at that. Um, I will say I, I read or heard that LeBron has been married to the same woman and ra- they've raised a family together and he's been faithful as a dad. And so I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't know. I'm sure these guys, I'm not, I'm not speaking to their personal. I mean, I heard that Jordan I also heard that Jordan made people call him Yahweh on his 
you know, a security detail. I don't know. I don't know anything about either of these guys' personal deal. I watched the last dance thing with Jordan a couple years ago, and it was pretty disturbing how insanely obsessed this guy was. But basketball, pure basketball, Jordan's better ball. He's just better. He's just better. He won six championships and put the team on his back and then built a team around him and stayed in one system. And he's just – that's, and then some people argue Ford versus Chevy. That one I don't really care about. There's some Chevys I like better. Like I like the five three, the 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 Chevy, uh, the post. What is it? Post ninety nine. I think from ninety nine forward. The five three. I think it's a three twenty seven. That motor is just like so good. It's bomb proof. Where Ford has been up and down. You know they had the five four. Had the four, what is it, the four seven? They did the two different. Um, gas engines they put in their F-150s. I don't think either one of them is as good as a 5.3, but a lot of people think they're better. So it's opinion, you know. And then there's – and then, like, the SUV line, Chevy's – people tell you the, the GMC stuff's better. But I don't – I don't. but I'm not, like, Chevy loyalist or a Ford hater. I'm not at all. So I don't really care. But some people get fired up about that. I think usually the Ford-Chevy argument is more old stuff. Uh, how about this one? Handguns, Glock – versus the world <laughs> everybody either is team glock or they hate glock um and so you you know comparisons are just that's how it works you know sec is better than the big 10 georgia is better than alabama this and that and, and like uh people people love to get on a team and be part of a team and and you're not really part of that team you know when you you know just because you buy a jersey and root the team on doesn't mean you're part of that team. I hate to break it to you, but that coach is going to go somewhere else one day for more money, and those players are all going to be gone. And what you're in love with is the color and the logo and the mascot. You know, it's just how it is. Um, and so it's funny. We were leaving the Virginia Tech. We, uh, as I'm recording this, the last game that I was at was uh, last Saturday was Virginia Tech and Pitt. And so fun. Um, it was a home game. ACC Network carried at 8 p.m. It was like the primetime game. It was just so fun. I just love watching my son play ball. It's completely different than cheering on your Clemson Tigers when, what, you went to college there 30 years ago or not, or not, maybe not. Maybe just like, this is my team, we, we, we. And I'm like, nope, no, nope. I'm watching my boy. I'm I'm watching my son play ball in front of 65, 66,000 people on the ACC network, who knows how many are watching, tuning in. It's awesome. I'm into it. I'm loving it. I don't yell a lot. I don't scream a lot. I mainly just kind of watch and soak it in. And it was so fun. Man, it was so fun. He did not get targeted one time. They did not throw him one pass. And then he's the number one punt returner in the ACC right now and number two in the nation as of this recording. So, of course, now nobody will punt him the ball. They're squib kicking the punts to try to not let him get it. So he didn't get, you know, he had one or two short returns. Um, didn't get a pass thrown to him. I don't care. I was so, I was cheering on my son and loving it. But it was funny because we're leaving and we're just in this line of cars, this traffic, just bumper to bumper to bumper to bumper to bumper to bumper. It's crazy. And I realized people loved, and me and Little had a conversation about this. People go to these games every single week, and maybe it's your team. You know, maybe you're a, a Tennessee fan or a UNC fan, and it's great. You you want to be part of a network, a community, a tribe of people that are cheering for the same thing. And I thought, you know what? God made us that way. That's why people get into this. 
Because I was like, can you imagine going and sitting through this traffic every single Saturday? Because the stadium sells out every home game, regardless of what the record is. You know, we're two and three in the stadium. The game is sold out. The next two home games are sold out. And we might be two and five by the time. You know, who knows? But people love to be part of a tribe and a, and a group. And, and then that turns into comparison. Well, our team's better than your team. and Our fans are louder than your fans. And it's just interesting how we – we compare, and I guess if I was going to theme this this episode, I would be this would be an episode on comparison. So the 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 thing that I want to challenge you with is what are you comparing yourself to? What do you compare yourself to day to day to day? Because what Paul does in in this passage we're going to read is he compares the testimony of Timothy and the character of Timothy against the character and testimony of false and deceptive leadership in the Ephesian church. He says, because what he does is he says, uh, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. So like anytime, you know, you see the word, but, but this or but that, it's like, okay, I've just said something, but now in contrast to that, well, what has he just said? Well, he said, you've got these teachers and leaders that are, you know, they're not teaching faithfully, they're profiting, they stir up controversy and conflict They've got corrupt minds. They've turned their backs on their calling. They're not content. You know, he, that's the, in first Timothy six, six is that verse where he says true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. We brought nothing into this world. We came into this world with nothing. We're not taking anything out with us when we leave. So he says, I love this. If we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. It's a good thing to remember but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So I think the first comparison is, what do you compare yourself to when it comes to material wealth, financial wealth, material possession. Now, I want to be careful here because the Bible gives us good instruction on stewardship and resources and investment. There's nothing wrong with making money. In fact, making money and investing money and saving money are biblical principles. But becoming obsessed with it or being driven by it or when it becomes the priority in your life. Now, that's not a good thing. And so, Paul, Paul says to Timothy, you got people that are using the, the platform of ministry to get rich, people that, that go into ministry and then use that to make a lot of money. Does that sound familiar? While I take a swig of water, y'all think about it. I want you to, in your mind right now, think of examples you know of three or four people that are very wealthy. I should say three or four people that are very wealthy that are in full-time ministry, you know, that have used, that have gained their wealth through ministry. Now, again, some of that is honest, and there's, and I'm not hating, I'm not being a hater and a critic. I have a couple friends that lead large ministries, and they've made a lot of money, and I don't want to hate on that. I don't want to be critical. But at the same time, I know pastors. There's a pastor in Charlotte that, you know, is a pastor of a mega church that I heard, uh, the not heard, like gossip heard, like read, was looking at the the net worth and then the homes of I was doing a a, a a shallow dive into the highest paid pastors and ministry leaders. This guy's house is worth more. I think his house 
is more than any of the Carolina Panthers or any of the NASCAR drivers, something like that. You know, I'm like, what are you doing, dude? What the freaking heck are you doing? I think there's an appearance there that's so unhealthy. Just not, I don't, I don't like that, man. So, so I think when Paul's comparing Timothy there, he's saying, are you content? You're not, you're not becoming wealthy. Are you content? Now, again, hear me out. I got some wealthy, godly friends and people that support the ministry of Snowbird. I'm thankful for that. But so this is, you got to keep everything in context here. So he's like, you're a man of God. So he's contrasting him to these people that are just making money off of ministry and, and getting financial gain or other types of gain, sexual gain. He'll talk about in other places. And so in doing this, what he's doing is he's pointing out the difference in Timothy over against these others. These men, okay, he's, here's what he's, he's characterized these men by lying and deceit, selfishness, the spread of poor and false doctrine, unloving leadership, vanity, insincerity, demonic influence, false religious piety, and then at the end there, that part that we just read, greed, money lust, compl- conceit, and a combative combative and argumentative spirit. So you could you could go through First Timothy six one through ten, really uh, not even one through ten. You go. Um, start at the verse three. Some people may contradict our teaching. These are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments, ending in jealousy, division, slander, evil suspicion. These people are always causing trouble. Their minds are corrupt. They have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. So he compares. So the first thing is, I think, to, to learn what is it to be a man or woman of God. Walk through First Timothy 6, verses 3 through 10 and say, okay, here's what I don't want to be. And so there's a comparison here. Don't, like, let, let me compare myself to this. Am I doing these things? So, but as for you, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. So in contrast, to, so here's the, here, here's the definition, sort of, or the the like. Here are the parameters. In contrast to the leadership of the Ephesian church, Timothy is described in the fewest of words. So he's he's spent you know several verses describing those guys, and now he says, but "Timothy, you, you're a man of God." Imagine if someone's going to explain describe you. Like, how would you describe so and so? Oh, he's a man of God. She's a woman of God. That's a person who loves God and is surrendered to Jesus. It's awesome. It's the greatest, simplest description you could ever ask for. Imagine that on your headstone, a man of God, a woman of God. So the contrast is, you know, very clear in this text. Um, you got a complicated, selfish position, um, kind of pretty complex. And then on the other hand, a clear testimony being lived out. Um, and, and, and that that phrase, man of God, you'll see that in the Old Testament. It's like semantically, Timothy's being compared to Moses, Joshua, we, who we looked at last week, Elijah, Isaiah, even King David. David and Moses were considered the deliverers of of Israel. They're like mess, these messianic prototypes, these archetypical men who looked like Jesus in so many ways. Um, there's a story of a man of God prophesying against 
the priest Eli that his sons would die and the priesthood would be taken away from his family. And then it, it happens. It's the greatest honor anyone could have bestowed on anyone is to call that person a man or woman of God. The church needs this. Like we need men and women to be who God's called us to be. Um, for the, the, there's a saying here at Snowbird, um, take a day off, get mauled by a lion. And for, and that comes from first Corinthians, I mean, first Kings 13, you can go way back. One of our first episodes in season one, we tell that story about this guy who, um, man, he's so faithful. He proclaims Christ and, and his word and, 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 and carries out the word of God and the instruction that God gave him as a prophet. And then he just, man, he lets his guard down and puts himself in a compromising situation and it costs him his life. And so we use that no days off. You can't relax. Take a day off. You get mauled by a line. Um, people say, relax, take it easy. But I, I can't relax when it comes to preaching the word of God. There's no days off when it comes to gospel ministry. There's days of rest, days of recreation, but not days off from personal discipleship and the pursuit of Jesus and his righteousness. In fact, your off day, your relaxed day, for me, that's the day that I spend the best time in the word. I get up, I'm not pressured or rushed to get out the door and uh, and take some time and, and just get in the word. When it comes to caring for people around me who are dying without the hope of the gospel, um, no days off. It's like telling an astronaut on his way to Mars for the first ever manned mission to that planet to take it easy. <laughs> or a guy going into a combat zone, you know, hey, take it easy. Nope. You take it easy, you get mauled by a lion. Take it easy, you'll get mauled by a lion. So what I want to do, I think I'm going to add a third episode to this little mini stretch right here, three-week run. Um, and But I want to intro the next episode, which is four things that define a man of God. And, and so we, we, we'll work through the next part of this text. Four things that define a man of God. And, and, and we'll see those um, in verses, in, in 1 Timothy 6, verses 11, uh, really 11 through 12, 11 and 12, just two verses. And it is a, a man or woman of God are defined by what they flee from, what they pursue after, um, what they fight for, and lastly, what they're holding on to. And that comes from... You can read ahead and kind of maybe do your own study here over the next few days. But you, Timothy, this is 1 Timothy 6, 11. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things, pursue righteousness, and live a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And then he, and so there's, there's the four things. But then he says, I charge you before God who gives life to all and before Jesus Christ who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate that you obey this command without wavering. And then he gives him this like really good charge. But there's those four things right there. Man of God is defined by what he flees from, man or woman of God, what he or she follows after, what they fight for, and what they're holding on to. So we'll dive into that in the next episode, which is going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Hope you'll um, get something out of this this week. So recap, summarize what we've just talked about. And it's this. I want you to think about what like comparing yourself to, to others this week in, in a good way. Find a, a man like a David Mock or like Pap. Find a woman who loves Jesus and is simple in her faith and or maybe maybe more than simple. 
you know, Charlene Coleman, my wife's grandmother who passed away, went to be with the Lord in 2011. Man, you walk in that lady's house and she had her Bible right there beside her. And she, she was a big K Arthur fan. I don't know if you know K Arthur. Um, she's a, she, I don't know if she's still alive cause she's been doing it for a long time. She does this thing called inductive. Is it inductive Bible study? But anyway, uh, Charlene was a big supporter of that ministry and would just go deep in her study of the word of God, man. And she's, she always said, and when she died, her Bible was laid open down there in the church and you could go by and look at it and man, every page, every margin packed full. She had just written a note after note after note. And I think, you know, find people that you can learn from and, and, and maybe they're not theologians, but maybe they are, I don't know. But, but then I think find people to compare yourself to and learn from, not to imitate and try to, like, I don't want to be somebody that I'm not, but I want to learn from others. My pastor, Joseph Tucker, who's almost 20 years younger than me, loved that brother and learned so much from him and in, in watching how intentional he is. He's so intentional to, to follow the Lord and to, and to, man, love people and to be energetic in his week-to-week ministry. He doesn't just prepare sermons and preach them. He does that, but he preaches about 50% of our Sundays, and he gives himself 100% to the study and preaching of the Word. But then, and, and it's cool because we're in a situation where, uh, like, we we divide the other 50% among the, the different pastors and elders, and he he is so Joseph is so energetic in the way he cares for people and invests in people, and uh, I don't he's he's got a good cadence of life and the way he when he goes to bed when he gets up loves his wife well but loves people well I don't know it's just things I'm learning from him so surround yourself with people you can grow from and learn from and you might be in a situation where you're like. I mean, there ain't nobody around me. I, I work in this horrible work environment or I work by myself. You know what I mean? You're, you're solo. You drive a truck or you sit at a desk um, or you're, you know, I got a, uh, there's a guy we use. He's a locksmith. He's got a mobile truck and he's always by himself. You know, maybe you're in that situation. So then maybe you listen to people that you can really identify with and grow from, you know, you get your favorite preachers and teachers and but try to find people and be a part of a church and you get to know people and go deeper. I think comparison can be a good thing. And then also don't, I think learn to not just be critical and, and, and to talk about others, you know what I mean? So anyway, well, jump into this next episode. We're going to dive into these four things that define a man of God. And I think it'll be encouraging. I hope today's episode was encouraging. This was a little bit out of the box. I, I did the Joshua profile in courage. I want to do the four things that define a man of God or woman of God, but I just felt like inserting sort of some commentary here and just a lot of just thoughts, just, you know, sharing my thoughts with who, you know, pick people and learn from them. You know what I mean? Um, and I think you could even say on the financial side, learn how to manage your money by paying attention to how some, some godly men and women, um, have invested their money wisely. And, and, uh, you know, I have two older men in my life, um, John Ridenour and Hal Peak, who um, are are using their latter years to invest in the kingdom. They worked, they made their money, they ran their businesses. They didn't get; they're not rich, they're not wealthy. They're just wise and invested their money the right way, and now are in the you know the, their seventies, but they're 
investing and sowing into kingdom work. Um, and it's just, uh, I've learned a lot by watching how those guys live their lives and manage, manage their resources. Cause they don't have like, they, they didn't, they didn't become, you know, rich. They just have been wise and practice good stewardship. And, um, and that and those guys are huge supporters of the snowbird, um, ministry and mission. So, uh, we got another buddy named Stan. That's a faithful listener at NSR who is a businessman, man. God's just blessed him with savvy and. Uh, he just, I don't know, man, I don't know even how Stan does what he does, but he, 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 he's committed to faithful biblical business practice and financial practice. And so he's, he's a person that I want to learn from, you know, my brother and friend, Butch Pendergrass, who's a board member at Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters. He's a guy that I can, I I can and have, and want to learn from because he grew a, a plumbing business that he's now sold and handed off to his son, Corey. And those guys are just strong brothers and friends. And I can learn from those guys. I ask those guys. I got a friend named Blake Harris that I want to learn from him. Like there are men and women that have figured out how to, they, they've they've done the hard work of knowing how to be financial managers with their resources. I want to learn from those guys. And, and that's healthy. Whereas I want to also see where people run over top of others, especially in ministry and user platform to get rich. Um, I I'm kind of down a rabbit hole right here, guys, to be honest, talking about finances, but I did, I wanted to do that. I wanted to come back to that just so you don't feel like I'm saying it's wrong to be wealthier, to make money. It's not, it's wrong to let that become the thing that motivates and drives your ministry. And that's the contrast that, that we see with Timothy and these other leaders. And so anyway, next week we'll dive into these four things that define a man of God and let those be the four things that define us. Let's do it. Y'all have an awesome week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to No Sanity Required. Please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps. Visit us at SWOutfitters.com to see all of our programming and resources. And we'll see you next week on No Sanity Required.